Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Before introducing this week's guest, I'm jumping in to let you know about a special Instagram giveaway happening right now. Brooke Stratton, Olympic long jumper and guest in season one, has kindly donated part of her 2016 Rio Olympic uniform to one special follower. With Tokyo coming up and Brooke literally jumping onto her second Olympic team, what a special piece of memorabilia. Head over to our Instagram page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart to enter. Entries close on Sunday the 30th of May at 10am Melbourne time. Read through the Instagram post to check out all the terms and conditions. Good luck! Today, we are joined by Renee Fox, a competitive swimmer who also hosts a podcast about mental health and sport. Renee and I come from a very similar background, starting our swimming journeys off at the same swim school to swimming for neighbouring clubs. I love talking with Renee about her journey through sport and finding out what motivated her to start her podcast. If you want to find more from Renee, you can find her podcast on Instagram at perfectly underscore flawed underscore podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hello, Renee. How are you today? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. I'm really excited to get a fellow podcaster on. Oh, I know. I'm super excited, but it's so nervous being on the other end. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit funny, like interviewing another podcaster, but we'll, we'll do well. It'll be fun. It'll all work out well. That's it. Now, you have been a competitive swimmer like me, so that's how we know each other. Can you tell us a little bit about your sport and how you got into it? Yeah, so when I was little, my parents said that we, both myself and my brother, had to learn how to swim. That was mum and dad's rules. Um, And then once we sort of got through, so I did King's Learn to Swim. And so once I graduated, it was up to me when I continued on to be squad. Um, and I just loved being in the water and continued on and I'm still here it's very a lot of years later I'm still here <laughs> <laughs> you're doing better than me you're in your early 20s and you're still going I stopped just after I turned 21 so you're certainly doing better than I did was there like a specific moment because I know you did a few different sports was there a specific moment that you were like yep swimming's the sport I love the most or um, that's a really good question um, so I've done a few sports. I think the most serious sport probably would have been netball for me. I did netball for maybe six or seven years. So it was definitely stuck around for quite a while and I loved it. But when I was at Tiger Sharks, my coach at the time said, you know, if you're serious about your swimming, you need to commit like it's this or pick another sport. Like you can't do both now. Like you really need to make a decision. And so I chose to stick with swimming. It just, I don't know. I just love being in the water and I couldn't see what life would be like without swimming as much as I love netball and if you know if I got the chance even now to go back I probably would but I don't think I could give up swimming to do that yeah yeah and how old were you when you were kind of not forced to choose but had that choice to make 
Um, it's probably about 13, 14. So quite young to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. I, um, I guess I never really had that cause I didn't like any other sports, but swimming, <laughs> but yeah, like I couldn't imagine having to pick between two sports that you kind of loved at that age where you're like, well, I don't know. I kind of like either I'm good at either. What do I do? Yeah, it was pretty hard. Um, I mean, I guess I was fortunate in the sense that the team that I was playing for in netball was a primary school team. It started with all of us in primary school together. And because we went under the primary school name, it was sort of coming to an end. But like we all sort of started high school, so we weren't really able to use that primary school name anymore and we were going to have to move on to another club or form a new team, even though it could be the same team members. So it was kind of wrapping up anyway. So it did make that decision a little bit easier, but I did offers to play with other teams. So it was hard to turn that down. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. And I guess it is kind of good that it fell at that end of an era for that netball team. And you're kind of like, oh, well, it's ending up, may as well keep going with my swimming. Yeah, it definitely made that easier. I think if it had been in full swing, it would have been a lot harder. Yeah. Now, in terms of your swimming strokes, like there's obviously four different strokes and then there's individual medley. You were a breaststroker, weren't you? Yeah, been a breaststroker for a while now. (laughs) What made you, because there's a little insight into the swimming world as to, you know, different personalities and different strokes. What made you really gravitate towards breaststroke or was it just natural ability? It's actually interesting because... In Learn to Swim, breaststroke is what held me back. I wasn't able to move up because I couldn't do breaststroke properly. Yeah. So it's funny now that I do breaststroke as my main stroke. Um, I used to do, I loved backstroke as a kid. That was my favourite. Um, and so, as you know, being at Kings yourself, um, Bill Sweetenham would come in over summer and mm-hmm. like coach us for a week or two. Um, and he said, I really love your breaststroke. I want you to do more of it. And I was like, oh, what? Like I'm a backstroker. <laughs> I don't do breaststroke. And I started doing it more and more and then never looked back really. So it's weird how it's funny. And reminds me every now and then she's like, you couldn't do breaststroke in London swim, but held you back for ages. And now it's my main stroke. Yeah, that's crazy. I know breaststroke held me back. What was It's case seven, I think, that you learn to do it on your back and then you flip it around on your front. Yeah. And yeah, it held me back at that point as well. And I I think like over a year I was in that level because I just couldn't get that (laughs) kick right but I never improved at it to be honest like I can I can swim the stroke I'm technically proficient at it I finally moved up and graduated but yeah like even now it's not my (laughs) go-to I feel like breaststroke is one of those controversial ones where it's either you're a breaststroker or you're not Mm -hmm. like there's no in between no one's like semi-good at it either you do it or you don't yeah, either you get the propulsion from your kick or you just stay in the same spot. <laughs> you just go up and down. <laughs> yes, yeah, I remember um, even like in squad training when we did IM sets, I was actually told not to do breaststroke kick. It's just like my coach <laughs> would be like, just do a dolphin kick and I'd actually go faster if I did a dolphin kick, which is yeah crazy considering, you know, the mechanics of it and the fact that breaststroke kick should actually be faster than one dolphin kick. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you were a breaststroker and you've been, you've competed at a national level, haven't you? I actually haven't, which most people were surprised by, but I have competed interstate and I have competed in New Zealand, but not at nationals. Okay. Okay. 
and your event was is it 200 and 100 is that your main yeah I do both and I have done like when I competed in New Zealand I did stroke and I am um I've done some distance freestyle over the years as well like chuck that in to mix it up yeah yeah I love that and is there any significant milestones along the way like you've competed interstate and over to New Zealand that have like helped shape your sporting journey um I mean there's a lot of things like there's so many things I could list it depends how big you want to go but um (laughs) competing interstate um for the first time was like through uni um like uni games and things like that I was able to go to Queensland and New South Wales um so that was pretty cool getting that exposure to other people and then since being at Surrey Park we've done um Tassie States each year so that's been really good and then New Zealand was sort of my choice that I wanted to do when I was at Tiger Ducks when we had a coach he was originally from New Zealand and so I was like oh you know it's much easier to qualify for the nationals than ours um why don't you go and see what it's like compete against a different group of people like it you know as you sort of get older the competition sort of drops off in terms of the number of people so it's always the same people every meet regardless of what level you're at it's always the same people so it's the same result and it gets a bit boring knowing the outcome all the time um so it's good to go and see what competition is like over there especially New Zealand like it was so chilled like their nationals they have self-marshalling for their what? nationals. There is no, I know, I was shocked. I was like, um, why is no one telling me when to go to the lane behind the blocks? And even then, like, no one really ticks your name off. Like, it's just assumed that you know. It's, like, literally like a school carnival in terms of you just stand behind when you feel like it's your turn. Wow. And what did you feel like? Like, obviously, down in Victoria, we had, even our club competitions were quite, um, or, I'm going to call it organised, like, people knew where they were going there was obviously some clubs that executed it better than others but you know you had some semi-decent marshalling and then when you got to the state events it was quite strict like it was quite strict you had to like stand in your lines if you if you kind of moved out of your line like the officials would kind of like put you back into (laughs) into order Uh, how did you feel like going from that really structured marshalling and pre-race experience to then having (laughs) relaxed marshalling where you had to just rock up and swim um it definitely threw me like a lot like I didn't realize that it was going to be like that I didn't really read the sort of competition book that I don't think anyone really reads up before they go into a comp <laughs> I didn't and even the fact that they had alternating lanes of swimming clockwise and anti-clockwise oh that gosh. was also new yeah because they did although they didn't have many they did have a couple of international swimmers so they do have so you can swim clockwise or anti-clockwise that was new um I remember I jumped in the wrong lane and crashed into someone so that was fun <laughs> um <laughs> I kind of get the laid back marshalling I think once you get to a national level you know what's going on yeah so you should how to marshal by then so I kind of get that from that point of view but for me because I'd never experienced something like that before and being in a country that I'd never been in I was like, can you, someone please just tell me where to go? Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> I was you... so nervous. I'm like, just tell me where I need to be at and what time I need to be there. And I'll just do that. Try to figure that out on your own when you're bag and nerves and in a new country, you didn't have a coach with me, like it was just me and my mum. Like that was definitely a new experience. Yeah, it would have been tough. I couldn't imagine. I, and like throwing in the clockwise and anti-clockwise, there was one time 
we had to do our warm-ups anti-clockwise and it completely threw me and actually there's even one time the clock was going backwards and oh my gosh there was a period of a week where the clock was going backwards and I remember I think I cried many times that week because I just couldn't fathom the the cycles you know how you go oh if it's on a yeah. 20 it goes 20 40 60 and you know you yeah. know how many you've done based on where the cycle is I couldn't yeah. work it out and it just completely threw me and I think I was in year 12 I was like <laughs> nah like this is not the stress that I need to deal with right now <laughs> so yeah I could yeah little things like that isn't it funny that it throws you out and you're like I don't know what to do <laughs> Yeah, been doing something for so many years mm-hmm. and then to try and flip that habit, it's so hard. And I was like, I don't know how to turn. Like yeah. when I do like a touch turn in brushstroke, like I turn to the side of the lane that I'm then going to swim towards. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, now do I have to like turn the other way or do I keep turning the same way and then do like a massive like push off the wall to the side? Like how do I work this? Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, like that is an issue and then because you've been doing it for so long like these touch turns that you've been doing for you know eight plus years are automatic like you don't think about it it just happens no yeah and so you have to completely like unlearn and consciously go back to like your your learn to swim self and go okay how do I do a touch turn and how do I now do it backwards (laughs) yeah literally you have to go back to basics and I'm like I don't know how to do this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh yeah that that definitely would have been tough that was New Zealand how how did you find Tassie states um Tassie is different again to Victoria I mean it's obviously like it's similar because it's still Australia mm-hmm. um and then a lot of the Victorian officials go over for the Tassie states as well so you see familiar faces around on the deck and quite a lot of Victorian clubs go like Nunawarning goes Halebury goes like there's quite a few familiar faces around pool deck. So it's not as daunting in that regard. Um, but it's always interesting swimming in a pool that you've never swum in. Like I think that still subconsciously throws you, whether you admit it or not. It definitely like adds to the nerves, I think. Yeah. Um, but it was good swimming there. I didn't um, – I mean, I swam well, but not at the same time, depending on what event it was. Some were good, some were bad. But you can get that at any age. Um, but I definitely enjoyed it. Like it was a good trip, even just from um, if you look at it like a camp, like mm-hmm. a swim camp type thing, like just being with the squad, that sort of environment. I really enjoyed that as well. It was a really good trip. Yeah, yeah. There was that was one thing that we didn't get to do where I was swimming was Tassie States. But I like I knew there was a lot of clubs around our area that were doing it. And I was like, oh, that looks awesome. I want to go to Tassie States. <laughs> Yeah, I think just the whole, I keep going back to like camping vibes, like a swim camp. It's basically what it is really. Um, It's just a competition rather than training. Mm -hmm. I just really enjoy that aspect of it. Like, I mean, you see them all the time anyway when you're just in full swing of training. Um, So then you're basically living with them anyway. So it's it's really not that different to normal life. You're still seeing them just as much. But it is nice being together all the time and, you know, having that support network, even though you're competing somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And at the school sport, because I guess that's where, other than our local competitions, like where we saw each other swimming, you were at one of our rival schools and yes. we competed together, like not together, but we keep competed against each other, like our districts and our regionals. Well, when we were on regionals, I guess we were on the same team. We were representing our little yeah. district. You had quite good success at school swimming, like throughout the years. 
Yeah, I did actually. Um, I mean, I think um, there was quite a lot of competition within my school itself. Mm-hmm. So just getting to that point was probably almost the hardest part, really. Yeah. Once you get through, the, once you get through the school, I, it was not too bad. Um, I have um, it's interesting. Like I'm still part of. I don't know if they know this, but I'm still part of the school sports Facebook page. Like I'm still in the school group. Oh, I don't cool. know if they know that I'm still working <laughs> in there. <laughs> Check things. Um, but they post the records, yeah. um, like the school records from district, region, state. And I, my name's still in there quite a few times from over the years. Like no one's broken them yet. And fingers crossed, I don't get broken for a while. I mean, of course, you want someone to swim fast and do well, but I mean, I still would like my name to stay in there as long as it can. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And like you said, in terms of getting onto your school swim team was the hard part for me, getting past district where we were competing against <laughs> your schools. If you made it onto district and you were from, you know, any of the other schools against Frankston High, we were like, oh, yes, like that's that's such a win in itself. Because <laughs> you guys were yeah, you know, you I know. such a strong team. <laughs> Yeah, Frankston was definitely known for its sport, that's for sure. And I know you were not the only person that felt that way. Everyone would celebrate like, oh, my God, we meet Frankston. They would be so excited. Yeah, I, it, no offence. Like I, I supported the Frankston swimmers that I knew. But <laughs> when uh, when anyone bet Frankston, even if they weren't from my school, I was like, oh, yeah, good on you. Like, well done. Because <laughs> it's such an achievement. Everyone was like that. Yeah. You, you guys obviously did a lot of relays and stuff. How'd you go like finding the individual events versus the relay events? I mean, I love a good relay. I, outside of school environment, I've never really been put in a relay because it's so much harder to get in a relay in your own club than it is in a school environment. Yeah. But because Frankson has a good group of swimmers, the relays would really pull through like mm-hmm. quite well. Um, but because as you know, I'm sure you know Lizzie McIntyre. Yes. Um, she's quite a strong breaststroker as well. Um, so I would never get breaststroke because our breaststroke times were so close. She would get the breaststroke and then I would do butterfly because no one else can do butterfly. <laughs> so I would be stuck doing butterfly because the time would add up faster in yeah. that sequence. So, but we progressed and I think we still hold one of the records at States for our relay. Like we were able to pull through like we got one year we got the um school one the district the region and the state like we knocked out every single one in that year and we won and that that was amazing that year I think that was year 11 or year 12 it was so good yeah oh that's amazing in my year 12 I remember we did a little sneaky relay because I knew Frankston was so strong (laughs) and like Renee you're gonna laugh at this I was like okay four girls that swim let's just find four in the whole school and so we had a year seven and she swam up into the open because I was in year 12 and then I think we had a couple year 10s and like they had to swim up and I was like okay guys like I found four girls who can complete 50 meters of freestyle each like let's go and that year we made it all the way to regionals and I think Oh no, no, we went to, we won regionals and we, and we went to state and we, uh, well, like we got smashed at state, but like just, we were the first relay team from like EMC to actually make it that far because the Franks <laughs> and high swimmers would always knock us out. And I, yeah. like, I, that's one of my proudest memories of year 12, because we had to do a little, like we scrounged together four swimmers in the whole school <laughs> to go and make yeah. a relay team. And yeah, like just even yeah even making it to 
regionals was it was a highlight and then yeah our school principal came and watched and it was it was a big deal from our school <laughs> that's awesome I remember one year there was the um senior girls they had a full team but one of the girls got injured right before states and so they asked me to stay and I was like are you sure you don't want someone else like I was only seven I'm like are you sure you don't want someone else like no we heard you like you're a good swimmer so we want you to come in our team and I was like but you've got like a whole school. Like, are you sure you want like a little year seven? Like you guys in BCE, like, are you sure? Like, yeah, 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 you'll be fine. I'm like, okay. (laughs) That would have been fun though. Like swimming with the older girls as a year seven. Yeah. I mean, it was a great experience, but I was shooting bricks. I was like, holy crap. Like these are like, you know, year 12s, these girls are so much older than me. And yeah. I'm just a little year seven, like I'm still, and because school swimming happens so early in the year as well, mm-hmm. I didn't really know anyone at the school either because I'd come from a primary school where no one else went on to the high school. And so I was like, I don't know anyone. I don't know who these girls are. Like I'm just a little, just little me. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're swimming with the big girls in, yeah, in a decent competition as well. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Was there any, like, injuries along your journey um I've never been a big injury prone person like I had a few niggles here and there um I guess the biggest one I sort of had a few years back now what are we in 2021 or maybe six years ago um I tore my hamstring um I know and luckily it was only a partial tear like it wasn't complete um but that was kind of a mixed bag of running and then trying to swim at the same time like it was it was cross training sort of thing but it happened whilst at swimming and then obviously impacted swimming um but actually the last two years and even currently still injured it's brutal like Mm. it's so hard people know like you're injured physically but mentally the toll that it takes being injured is so hard because you see everyone else training all the time doing all the sets and you're like I want to do what everyone else is doing. Like you can see yourself falling behind and that's really hard to see that. Mm, Yep. And like I tore my rotator cuff and I've had a few, like it's always been my arms, but yeah, when you're stuck with your kickboard or you're stuck with the pool boy, if you've hurt your legs and they're all doing a main set and you're just like trying not to drown and you're showing up and you're just like, I'm not even getting a benefit. I'm just showing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. And I mean, mine's my back at the moment and, you know, two years is a long time and it just seems like a very much of a grind. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of things that I can do for sure um, and so that's sort of what I have to remind myself and my coach reminds me, you know, you can still turn up, you can still do this and think about all the things that I can do rather than focus on the things that I can't. Yeah. And there is better for me going, like even if it's a social sort of thing to take my mind off everything else, like that's still just as important as getting a full set in. But I'm still doing some competitions and I'm still training, so that's a win. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, you're, you're still in the sport at 20, 22? Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing in itself. Like with swimmers, you would have seen it going through now. Once you get to about 16, the the girls especially start to drop off. And then again at 17 and 18 and 19. And by the time you're in your twenties, like there's really not as many girls in there than when you were, you know, 16. Yeah. So the fact that a lot of those girls drop off, I reckon, even boys, but I think more so girls sort of coming into VCE. Yeah. Definitely a massive drop. Yeah. And the fact that you're still swimming now, like that's a testimony to you. Like that's amazing. 
Thank you. You've mentioned a few there. What are the benefits sport has provided you as an individual that has transferred over to other avenues of your life? Um, I think a massive one would be time management. <laughs> like if, I mean, like during lockdown, like I was still doing uni and I'm like, oh my God, I have so much time. And you're like, oh, I can do it later because I've got time. And so you push it off and you're like, oh, like I don't need to do it today. Like today is not the due date. So it's not the due date. Like <laughs> you just keep pushing it off, pushing it off. And then you're like, oh crap, like I have to do it now. Whereas when you have a full schedule of sports, swimming, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. is your time is so structured that if you don't sit down and do it right then and there, you know that it's not going to get done. So that's definitely things and just being organized. Like people think I'm crazy. I have like a full, like I have a whiteboard sitting next to me here <laughs> of like a full timetable yep. of everything. And I have a spreadsheet of when all my assignments are due and it's all color coded to what union is, what week it's due, what the date is. So I'm like, cool, I've got three assignments due in like week seven, let's say. Then I know that I need to start some of those now so that it's not going to be too crazy because I know I've got a full schedule of swimming or there's a comp coming up. I can plan it accordingly. Yeah, I was the same. I remember making a timetable on Excel with my mum. I think I was year 10 or 11 and it would literally be by the half an hour and it would be colour-coded. So swimming was blue and school was green and work was pink and, you know, my rest times, I'd get half an hour of rest time every day before bed and, yeah, like different studies and I actually kept that going all through my uni degree and now not so much because I don't have a really heavy workload in terms of sport but um like to be able to fit in your training and your studying and your work commitments and then I remember like trying to socialize with friends and I'm like okay so if I get up an hour earlier on Sunday then I have an hour for an hour extra free at like 4 p.m to do something for two hours with someone yeah Literally, like it can be so structured, but it means you get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like it is a bit of a grind and you feel like you're just ticking boxes, but everything gets done that way. Like sometimes you forget that you're in such a strict schedule and it's not till you talk to someone that's not in it. Mm -hmm. They're like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what is what is this schedule that you have? And it's like, this is my life. This is how it works. Yeah. And do you find that you run better when you're structured and scheduled? Absolutely. I don't know what to do. Like I've had um, the last two weeks and I go back to swimming tomorrow off and this is sort of the only time that we really have off for the year. Um, And I've literally been twiddling my thumbs. I'm like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like it's so weird not having routine. Yes. I lose my mind without it. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely the same. Like I really, really value my two days off. But if I have more, like I had five days off over Easter and after the third day, I was exhausted. But after the third day, I was kind of like, oh, I'm starting to get a bit anxious now. What do I do? Like I don't have to go back to work for another two days. I've done all my meal prep. I've done all this. Like I'd filled in those rest weekend days and I was like, oh, okay. And I'd just been like pottering around doing nothing. And I was like, I'm way better with structure. Yeah. Yeah. Like downtime is so good and it's so important to have that time to yourself, but I can't do too big of stints of that because I will lose my mind. Mm, Same. I actually, I structure my downtime in. Oh my God, I do the same. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'll set a time 
like, okay, I'll just watch one episode of something and then I'll go do something else for an hour and then I watch one episode. Like I have to have a structured downtime, Yeah, literally. Yeah, Yeah, like my downtime on a Saturday afternoon is something like 4 p.m. And at 4 p.m. it doesn't matter what I've been doing. Like that's when I, unless I'm in a little bit of a role, say I'm editing the podcast or something, but I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll be like, okay, it's time to do something completely mindless. Like I'm going to watch it keeping up with the Kardashians or I'm going to watch something that I can completely switch off and then I can do that until 6 p.m. and then I start cooking dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I've, I've got the same. I've got now a whiteboard and it's days and then I've got my meals on the side and what's for dinner and, yeah, structure's definitely very good. It's a benefit that I think swimmers particularly have to learn because otherwise there's just nothing, nothing would get done because, you know, you couldn't, possibly fit everything in no and I think particularly with swimming as well because of the high training demand at such a young age you have to learn it quickly Mm -hmm. like I know I know discredit to football because I mean the skills and the um fitness and everything that they have to have is phenomenal don't get me wrong but the training schedule at that age is nowhere near compared to swimming or even gymnastics or dance like Mm -hmm. you know at you know when I was finishing primary school to early high school, I was training a minimum seven times a week plus yeah. competition on top of that. And then you've got full days of school. No other sport requires that sort of training demand. So you have to have structure. Yeah. And it teaches you very, like very early, I guess, the discipline that it takes to get things done, like even self motivation to get it done. Like I remember when I was swimming and I was working. I'd get up and my my mum had a rule that she would never wake me up. It would have to be always me that let it. So I'd get up, make her a coffee and I was on my L. So I'd be then in the car ready with her coffee and I'd drive us to swimming. And then I had half an hour between swimming, finishing and having to get to school. And like even that in itself is a rush and we'd pick up my sister on the way way through to drop like her to school as well. And she'd actually be the one who wasn't ready which is completely yeah. funny. Like she'd have no morning commitments and she was the one that would make us late for, for school. Um, and then I'd, you know, do a full day at school and then I'd go to work and sometimes I'd even have swimming after work. So it's just like I look back now, I'm like, how did I fit all that in? Like those days were huge. Some days I was out of the house for 14, 15 hours. I look at it now and, you know, I think year nine was probably my heaviest sort of training load and I was training like, nine times a week comps four days of school like I'd go I'd get up you know um before five o'clock go training Mm -hmm. for two and a half hours straight to school like in the car I would be I had a system like I had a full system dad would go to the gym whilst I'd be swimming and so then he would go he'd bring breakfast back ready so I'd be eating breakfast and then I'd turn all the vents off in the car and leave one so that was like my hair dryer in the car to dry my hair yes I'd be like putting my makeup on and whatever it was, go straight to school, go to school for the whole day, then go straight from school back to training. You get home and it's like eight o'clock at night and you mm-hmm. haven't, like, you know, you left home at five o'clock in the morning. Like, and I'm like, I can't even get through the day without a nap. Yeah. Now. Like, <laughs> like, I need a nap every day. And I'm like, how did I do that in school? I don't know how I did it. I think we were just used to it. And I think maybe it was just, the way it had to be and maybe kids actually have more energy than adults I don't know in saying (laughs) that your if your dad listens to this he's gonna not be happy because he was a maths teacher at 
our school. Um, not that he was ever my maths teacher, but I used to really smash through my maths. There was a reason why I didn't go into, oh, what's it called? I don't know, the harder maths in year 11, yeah. year 12. And it was because I found maths okay enough that I could cope, but I'd sneak, I'd do all my work and then I'd sneak in a 20 minute nap in maths. <laughs> <laughs> so and the way like my teachers just let me do it I think I did the same in oh what other subject did I do it in I can't remember but I yeah I would work really really hard and then I'd sneak a 20 minute nap in because that's just how I functioned for the rest of the day I can top that because (laughs) in school if I was really tired and it'd always be Japanese because I could get away with it a bit easier because my teacher for whatever reason had a special soft spot for me and I'd say oh miss I'm really sorry but I'm not feeling I'm just going to go to sick bay she goes no worries like I hope you feel better see you next class so I would go to sick bay and I'd say to the teacher oh I just have a headache and because the sick bay teachers at school they're like they don't want to give you Panadol they don't want to send you home they want to keep you at school as Mm -hmm. long as they can and I'm like, oh, is it okay if I just lie down? Like, we'll make it like a dark room. I'll just lie down on a bed for a while. Like, yeah, no, no, no worries. So I'd literally sleep for the 45-minute class and I'd use the bell as my alarm to wake up and then, then I'd go to the next class. So I had a perfectly good bed, dark room. It was quiet. And I would sleep for a good 45 minutes and I'd get up and go to my next class. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, you had a way better system than sleeping on your hands <laughs> over your maths textbook. And that, I think that's why I did maths because the textbook was so bulky that it would, like, mean that my head wasn't <laughs> as far down. Oh, you had a great system. <laughs> yeah, I was made the most of it. <laughs> that's amazing. So is there a lesson you've learned along the way that you'd either share with your younger self or another, you know, up-and-coming swimmer? I mean, that's tough. I mean, I talk to quite a lot of the junior girls at the moment. Um, we sort of went um, at Surrey Park, like through, we did a swim camp at the beginning of last year and then Tassie. So they've sort of been around me for a little bit and I stayed in contact with them. And I always tell them, you know, make sure you have a good balance. Mm-hmm. Balance is so important. While training is important and, you know, making the most of that is is great. But you need to be able to have a, have a life outside of swimming. Yeah. And that's sort of what I've learned, particularly through lockdown, is that who am I without my swimming? Like mm-hmm. I'm still a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a friend, like I'm all these other things, not just a swimmer. Mm-hmm. And I think you, everyone sort of gets caught up with their identity being associated with their sport and I'm still figuring that out now. But I've said to a few of the younger ones, um, you know, although school's important, do your homework, turn up to training, go have a social life, mm-hmm. like don't miss out on those things. Like if that means you go to a party and you leave at, you know, 10.30 or whatever so you can go home and get some sleep still, still go. Like don't just say, oh, I have to leave early so I won't go. Mm. Like still make the effort to go, have those good friendships, have a good social network and, you know, the girl that's going to be 12 and she's trying to balance working and swimming and school and I'm like, go to the 18th, don't miss out on those because you'll look back later and be like, oh, I should have gone to that party. Like, yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm so bummed that I missed the training session. No, you're going to be glad that you went to that party. Like, yes. go, go to formal, go to Val, go to the 18th, whatever it is. Do like try and find a way to do all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And it's a lesson that's really hard to learn. And I think it's a lesson that is, um, for people that yeah their identity is so wrapped up in their sport it come it kind of comes to a a standstill and a shock 
when the sport for some reason out of their control is kind of taken from them or you know they're not able to do it as much or something like that so for you it was lockdown I remember the first time it happened for me it was I tore my rotator cuff and I couldn't swim as much and then I got glandular fever and it was a a whole snowball of things and you were just yeah yeah, I was just like well who am I if I'm not a swimmer and that questioning of who are you it's really it's kind of a tough thing to face especially when you're so young absolutely and I think it's tough for anyone and I think there's so many people that will go through that, not just, you know, the elite level and when they retire, you know, mm-hmm. you see so many people struggle with that um, because you don't have anything outside of your sport, especially at that elite level, like the training that re- is required is mm-hmm. insane. And so when they stop, it's like, oh, crap, now what? Like I didn't have anything when I was swimming, so now I don't, now that I don't have swimming, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. But I think it happens young junior level even at our level too that actually I think a lot of people would have figured that out during lockdown or you know when they stop swimming whether that's through year 12 or injury or whatever it is I think if you have um something for you that you're passionate about outside of your sport whilst you're still doing the sport Mm -hmm. it's going to be easier to step away and figure out who you are without it and I'm still trying to work it out like I haven't figured it out yet but I'm trying to figure that out. That lockdown has forced me to evaluate it. Yeah, yeah. And I I guess I was one of the lucky ones that had to somewhat do the work and accept that I wasn't just a swimmer before lockdown hit. And I'd kind of stepped away from the competitive side of things. And I, you know, would jump in the pool and enjoy it, still run alone to swim school. So swimming was still heavily in my identity, but I wasn't yeah, I, w- I knew I wasn't a swimmer, but still having some of that taken away over the lockdown, like actually it was my sister that helped me. She gave me like a paint by numbers kit and yeah. then I got to spend a lot of time doing that. And then, you know, I found podcasting and I got a puppy and like all of those things really helped me come out the other end. But yeah, I guess I was, a- I'd already started on that journey and you know, a few years later, I'd kind of find, found a few activities that I really loved. So um, I used to say it was three P's, podcasting, puppies and painting. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, yeah. So like they're outside of my identity as, you know, a swim school manager, I'm, I, I love those other three things. And then obviously I've got family and friends and, you know, things like that that make up who you are and, I think that the thing is it changes. Like you've got your uni degree. Did you find that that helped a little bit? Um, I definitely think so. But even still, like I think the ramifications of lockdown are still sitting with a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, especially with the people that I've spoken to recently, even myself, sort of feeling like, okay, things are going back to normal. What do I actually want to return to? Yes. Like people have sort of really evaluated that, okay, like all these things were taken away, things are going back. What do I want to go back to? Do I want mm-hmm. to go back to this? Do I want to do this degree? Do I want to do this sport? Do I want this job? Like people are really taking a step back and thinking about, okay, what am I, what do I want? Yeah. And I still like as much as I love my uni degree, I'm definitely questioning, okay, what happens post uni? What do I want to do after that? I haven't figured that out yet. And I mean, this is my final year and I definitely, so many who ask the question like, oh, you're graduating this year. What are you going to do next year? I'm like, I really don't know. Like, I don't know the answer, but I know it's reassuring that I'm not the only person that's sort of 
feeling that way there's a lot of people that are in the same boat yeah and even without the lockdowns like I finished my degree in 2018 2017 and it was similar like a similar feel to you so I did bachelor of sport development and you're doing the double of sport management and exercise science so the content is very similar and I got to the the end of my third year well start of my final year and I was kind of like I really really don't want to do this degree anymore and I found it I dropped down to part-time for the last two years because my heart wasn't in it and I found it really challenging that uh, that I didn't want to do it but I still had to put the time and effort into it but my advice is finish it like I know you don't (laughs) know it's tough but like if you are doing a degree and you're that close to the end like you've racked up a hex debt (laughs) for a reason like you may as well finish it and get get the piece of paper and then you know that might be actually just a stepping stone to do a master's in something else or do a PhD in something else and have a go it might even be a stepping stone to try something kind of in the industry but not what you thought it would be when you first started like that's my 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 two cents worth yeah no I agree like I'm definitely going to finish the degree out like I don't have long to go I mean half of this semester's over anyway and then it's only one more to go after yeah. that so it, it's so close to the end there's no way that I would stop now but it's just more the fact that there are so many pathways post mm-hmm. this degree especially doing a double you know obviously you know double should opportunities of what degrees there what job opportunities there are I just don't know which one I want yeah no that's I fair. want any of those or do I go on and do further study and find something that I'm more passionate about or maybe the connections that I make through placement and then I find something within that organisation itself, although it's not necessarily what I initially envisioned, but it could be something still within that organisation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely resonate with with you in that. And I know with my degree, technically I don't need it to do, it the, job, to do the job that I'm doing now, but it does come in handy and I do find myself like drawing back on some of the concepts and, you know, the theory that we have to learn for some of the things. But, yeah, you do look at that and go, well, do I want to be doing this forever? And it's it's a hard hard thing to think about and you're like, well, what can I do? What what do I do with this degree? And I know with this podcast I'm kind of using my degree, but then again it's not a requirement for being yeah. a podcast host. Yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting concept and question and maybe it's something like 20 years ago when people did degrees they had a clear path but now it's kind of common and that you might need more study to go into certain pathways and yeah it's it's left a little bit more open isn't it definitely is like and it's so much more competitive now too because you know if you do go back as you said 20 years ago um the majority probably wouldn't have gone to uni whereas Mm. now if you don't you're in the minority Mm-hmm. Like it's so much more competitive and, you know, the, I can't remember the actual stats, but I think it's, you know, we, our age group sort of change careers seven times in our lifetime. So yes. whereas back then it was very much set, like once you pick something like that's it. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it is comforting in that sense that, you know, so many people our age do switch it up. So, you know, we don't have to be like stuck. Mm-hmm. We are, we can change and do different things but as you said you know with the job that you have and this podcast although your degree is on a requirement it enhances your ability to do it well yes yeah and that's the benefit that I'm like oh well I didn't waste that time at uni it's I'm still using the things to 
maybe excel a little bit more than what I would have if I didn't have that background. Yeah. 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 So it's definitely good having a degree. (laughs) (laughs) The question usually is, have you been involved in a project where sport has been used as a tool to develop the community? But I want to find out about your podcast. So it's called Perfectly Flawed. What made you start the podcast? So there's like a number of factors. I think the final push for me was losing a really close friend of mine to suicide. But it's always been um, something in the back of my mind that I've thought about for quite a while. Um, I think even during lockdown, I know we spoke before about podcasting and just listening to them has been so helpful during Mm -hmm. lockdown. Um, I love listening to them. And I think the importance of just having a conversation like my podcast is around both mental health and sport mm-hmm. um just having that conversation I think is so important you know the question of are you okay gets thrown around quite a lot but it's very like if you go to the supermarket you know you know the person that's serving you goes oh how are you going yep good thanks like you're not really like if you said bad like if you said no I'm shit mm. they'd be like taken back because you they've already anticipated your response to be good things like it's just out of being polite like it's not a genuine how are you I Mm -hmm. think that question sort of although it's a good question it people are a bit blase about it they don't necessarily take it seriously as what it needs to be yeah it's more of a greeting need to yeah more as yeah as you said it's very much a greeting like it's Mm. just like saying hi Mm -hmm. people don't take it too seriously um, so I'm sort of trying to delve into that a little bit further on how that there's a relationship between that and sport and, you know, there's people that are getting help but still struggle. You know, my friend was seeing us like every week and a great support, great support system, family, everything, and it can still not go the way that you want. So I think just having that conversation about it is so important and trying to reduce that stigma as much as possible. Yeah, and I think the more someone who struggles with mental health like the more you know that someone else is in you know feeling a little bit down or might be feeling the same way or has been feeling the same way before it kind of makes you feel a little bit more normal and that you can get through it it's a bit more comforting knowing that you're not alone yeah I like the analogy that I've used a couple times um is you know if you're in school or uni or whatever it is you you know I've got a test coming up and you're like oh shit I haven't studied Mm -hmm. and you message your friend like oh don't worry I haven't either that sense of relief Mm -hmm. that you're not the only one is that same sense of relief talking about mental health or whatever it is but I think that's so important that you're not the only one like oh my god right I'm not the only person that thinks this I must be going crazy but you end up finding out that so many people feel the same way and that's sort of one of the main goals that I want to get out of the podcast as well is people trying to reduce that feeling of being alone is that there's so many people regardless of their status or what their job is or what they do that they can feel the same way as everybody else they're still a human being just like everybody else yeah and there's definitely like there's ebbs and flows and especially with social media we've kind of grown up in a real social media era where you only really see the highlight reels of people's lives and as you know young swimmers we would look at these amazing swimmers on Instagram we'd see how perfect their feed would be and how amazing it is but of course they're not going to post the you know the days that they're feeling really depressed or the fact that they're injured and they can't get out of bed because they're so upset about it or that you know their feelings before a major event and that they're feeling really anxious for the months leading up to it 
And they're the things that everyone kind of feels that stuff. And the fact that you've created a platform for people to talk about it and for people to hear those stories and know what they've experienced is really amazing. Thank you. But yeah, I agree with what you say with social media is, and everyone, I think everyone falls into that comparison trap quite a bit. Um, And not even just in sport, just in general, all, you know, that person looks like this. I want, you know, Mm -hmm. I want their legs or I want their hair or I want this or I want that. But, you know, that could be something that that person's super insecure about. Mm -hmm. Or that could, you know, put that person, oh, you know, I want their arms or I want their bum, like whatever (laughs) it is. But people don't post the stuff that they're insecure about. Everyone wants to put their best foot forward, basically. And people don't see all the stuff that happens behind closed doors. And I think even now there's more people coming out on social media and posting the, you know, the not so pretty or the lowlights, I guess, of life and things do happen behind closed doors. You know, I'm out of bed and I look like this. My mm-hmm. hair is a man, I haven't brushed it, my makeup. This is what I look like on a daily basis. I'm not always have my hair perfectly straightened or curled with a full face of makeup. Like I do look like this as well. Like mm-hmm. it's like it's both. Yeah, and I, I like the change and that's probably only been, oh, I'm going to say like the last two to three years, do you reckon? Yeah, it's still pretty recent. Yeah, so I think, you know, the kids that are maybe starting their social media journey, like that's going to be really good for them to see both the highs and the lows and they know that these people that have these really aesthetic photos and it looks really great, well, they've also, you know, got days where they're sad and they can't do something or yeah yeah it's really good now in terms of your own mental health like were you motivated just from your your friend and the experience that he went through and by watching him or were you more motivated as well because you did experience something um I think it's a combination of both I've sort of been exposed where over the last five years or so with through family friends other people like he wasn't the first person that I've sort of helped but he's the first person that I've lost so uh, there's been quite a few and having my own things I think people how do I word this in the best way although helping someone is so important I think people forget the toll that it takes on the support person like yeah you know you see with like in movies tv shows whatever it is you see on tv even you know real lectures like a current affair where a person like with a disability or a physical illness the carer you know there is that support for the carer Mm -hmm. that same support needs to be applied to mental health because it takes a toll on that support person and I don't think I've realized in the initial stages what sort of toll that was taking on me and I think that's where my own sort of mental health sort of started to decline. I didn't realise at all that it was taking on me and I always pushed it aside, like, no, they need help. Like, it's not about me. I need to help them. Mm-hmm. And my own needs sort of got neglected a little bit and it wasn't until I took a step back and was like, okay, I actually need help too. So definitely, like, my own mental health and I think speaking about it um, and my own experiences helps me too as just as much as it can help someone else. Yep. And then there's the, all the people that are listening as well that would tune into that conversation and it could help help them and, or help them even protect themselves whilst helping someone else. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do you find, have you got some strategies now that you use to protect, you know, your energy when you're, you know, talking about really tough things? It's definitely something I'm still working on. I'm a massive empathetic person. Mm -hmm. So I 
tend to just drop everything and help those people that I really care about. So I still sort of figuring out where I need to put those boundaries in. It is it is really important. It's okay. You know, I'm I'm not their counselor. I'm not qualified. Mm-hmm. I'm their friend, and that's what I need to do. That's my job. Is I'm their friend. I support them as much as I can. But as soon as things start to you know get a little bit more serious, I need to step in and say, Hey, look, I'm your friend. I'm here to support you. But things have stepped up. You need to speak to someone that's qualified now. Yeah, yeah, and like I know, being very empathetic myself, I kind of absorb other people's energies and. That's how it yeah. takes a toll on you. I've found, and I found it somewhere in the lockdown. I listened to a meditation and I wish I remember which one it was, but it was about visualizing like a, a bubble or aura around your body and it's in a certain color light. And then if there's any type of energy and it doesn't matter what it is, it could be anxious energy from someone that you can't absorb, but they have a different color light to you. And you just don't let those lights mix because their, you know, beautiful orange light might not mix well with your yellow light, you know, create a weird energy. So I found like having like that in my head, when I find myself in an uncomfortable position and it might not even be, you know, mental health related, but like having yeah, that like different energies or something to protect myself. Like I definitely do put that bubble and visualize the colors that yeah, it's a bit weird and a bit spiritual, but that's one thing that like. Oh, I think it's important that everyone has their own way of looking at it and what works for you might honestly work for me, but it could work for someone else. Mm-hmm. And as I think the more people talk about what works for them and having a range of things that are presented forward is that people can then pick and choose what works for them and figure it out on their own because as I said like you know whilst I don't necessarily take it on that way it's like okay I need to take a step back how is this affecting me how do I feel right now by this person telling me this okay I'm upset by this too whilst it's important how can we do something together so you know I like to do especially you know, with lockdown, it's like, okay, let, although we can't meet in person, let's do Netflix party. Let's do yeah. something funny, do something lighthearted. And that could almost be, I've found a form of mindfulness as well, mm-hmm. because the way I look at mindfulness is a way to distract you from what's currently going on. Mm-hmm. And that can be anything that can be going for a walk, that can be playing with a pet, that can be watching a TV show, coloring, you know, actually meditating, whatever it is. It's to get you to focus solely on what is right in front of you. So if that's watching for you, keeping up with the questions, <laughs> I enjoy watching Google Box. I find that that I spend so much time and focused on that that I forget about everything else. And it's funny. It makes me laugh. And that's my mindfulness. And mm-hmm. people think that's so weird. Like, oh, why do you watch something so mind-numbing? I'm like, because it is mind-numbing. Yeah. Sometimes you need that. Mm-hmm. I think one of my guilty pleasures was... Oh, I'm, I'm even embarrassed to admit it was Geordie Shaw because I, <laughs> because it was so mind-numbing and so ridiculous. Like I found it so like ridiculous some of the things that were happening, but I could just tune out and I often found myself falling asleep, which is a bit crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, it would calm me down so much that I could fall asleep to it and, you know, it did its trick. Who cares if it was the complete ridiculous stuff that did it? Like it was something and it worked. If it works, it works. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, your jam could be David Attenborough. I mean, he has a great voice. And mm-hmm. if that's what you want to watch and look at all the wildlife and the animals and how that all works and listen to his voice and find that super soothing, I'm sure 
many people could fall asleep to that voice. Like it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe learn something subconsciously while they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really love that. Now, where can we find your information for the podcast? So I have Instagram is probably the best place to go. So it's literally perfectly underscored forward underscored podcast. Mm-hmm. And I post everything to random quotes that I love to what episodes are coming up. Um, and even the link is on there to you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everywhere you can find it. Oh, awesome. And I encourage all the listeners that, you know, have enjoyed this podcast to go on and ch- check out Renee's Perfectly Forward podcast as well. Thank you. <laughs> now, this is a question that I threw in there because of COVID. And I think the landscape of sport had changed a lot last year. And I think it's, you know, interesting to see what's going to happen in the future. So where do you see the future of sport? That's a very interesting question. I'm very intrigued to see where it will go. I think that a lot of people miss sport more than what they thought, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they actually participate in it, because it is a massive form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like I know, you know, my dad is not necessarily play sport, but, you know, he exercises, goes to the gym, go for a swim, whatever it is. But just the entertainment aspect and the social aspect that brings people together, people really miss that. And I think that is a really big thing that people want to get back is that entertainment side of sport. So I think that although it's had a massive hit because of the lockdowns and, you know, especially with the physical contact and maintaining that sort of distance and things like that, um, it will definitely come back. It's not going anywhere, that's for sure. It's just going to get um, even bigger, I think. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, I've seen it at work. I've seen the recovery of mostly the learn to swim industry, but I've seen how strongly it's bounced back because people really, really missed it. And I think it's very special. You know, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And that's kind of what's happened a little bit with sport. You know, we didn't realize maybe had been taken for granted a little bit in some people's lives. We didn't realize how much of an impact and a difference it could make. And, you know, even just going to the footy, I'm not a huge person that would go to the footy, but we'd go once a year, Essendon versus Collingwood. That's the two teams that my family barracked for. And, you know, going to that was such a family bonding experience and yeah, little things like that. Yeah. It's definitely going to come back. Oh, absolutely. And as you said, you know, that family bonding for you, there's plenty of things. Like, I know end of the day it's always something that we do and it's Collingwood Essendon. It's, mm-hmm. you know, something that we celebrate and we have grand final, people plan functions around sport. Yes. That's a thing. Yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, especially in Melbourne, like we've got real, we've got two public holidays just for sporting events. You know, we've got the grand final public holiday and the Melbourne Cup public holiday. And whilst you might not necessarily follow those codes or like those sports normally you always most often find yourself tuning in just because it's just what we do it's such a cultural importance in our society absolutely and I think everyone's going to be in tune with the Olympics this year everyone's sort of keen to see that get up and running too I think yeah I'm I'm really excited to see like how how different it might be from from past olympics or how similar it is that we didn't expect it to be similar like it's going to be a bit of a watch this space kind of thing um yeah in terms of how how it's going to run and the athletes and yeah I, i'm just really keen to watch it yeah absolutely i mean i've 
I know been following obviously swimming and those sort of things and seeing on social media people are swimming really fast mm. even though we've had a lockdown and it's not just Australian swimmers it's around the world they're swimming really fast and I think you know as swimmers you know you don't really take breaks it's very much that you've got to be in the water all the time because mm-hmm. it can hinder your performance later on um it's going to be interesting to see if the lockdown and even though we had so much time out of the water how people have been able to bounce back whether that's going to then mean that we're able to take more breaks in the sport that would I'm be intrigued to see how that will go as well yeah yeah and that would be really I think it could be really great for the sport because it would be, you know, when you were 13 and you had to make that choice between swimming and netball, well, it could potentially mean that you could have a sport in the winter, not in the competitive swimming season. And, you know, that would make you a more well-rounded athlete. Like it could be really, really good in terms of junior sport as well as high performance. Absolutely. Seeing, you know, and how beneficial is a break, both physically and mentally? Can you actually come back stronger? And I think there are a lot of athletes out there that are coming back really fast. Mm. And they didn't. Pro- they probably didn't sit on their couch and do nothing. They were probably doing different aspects of cross training. But even throwing those different stimulus at your body, like you would have learned it, and you would be learning it at uni. Well, that's what you do to get better. That's simple yeah. adaptation. So, yeah, that. Oh, for sport in general, that could be such a good thing. And then you could find there's been a few people that have come on that have done junior sport as one sport and then done something else as an adult. And I think even that concept is really amazing, but we could find more athletes cross-specializing in sports. Absolutely. And I think I've seen quite a lot in AFW as well. Like a lot of those girls did specialise, you know, some of them, those girls are Olympic athletes in other sports before they were able to transition across to AFLW. So I think, I mean, that's quite evident there, but it'd be great to see that in other areas too. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's very exciting space. <laughs> it is. Thank you so much for coming on today, Renee. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.